Welcome to Bright Now, a podcast about parenting and educating talented kids, sponsored by the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth. I'm your host, Jonathan Plucker, the Julian C. Stanley Endowed Professor of Talent Development at CTY and Johns Hopkins University. Welcome back to Season 3 of Bright Now, the podcast for parents and educators of bright children. We're recording this specific episode in late March 2020, and given everyone's coronavirus concerns, an episode with a master teacher feels timely. And our guest today is indeed a master teacher. As some listeners know, I travel the country and world visiting classrooms and working with educators. In the course of those adventures, I meet many great teachers, and one of the best I've had the privilege to meet is Chris Robbins, a teacher in the Glastonbury Public Schools in Connecticut, just outside of Hartford. Chris is a 26-year veteran teacher, and he's been a leader at the forefront of using iPads for instruction in the classroom. He's presented widely to other teachers on the use of technology to enhance teaching and learning. And a couple years ago, he was honored as Glastonbury's Teacher of the Year. I should also note that Chris was my son's fifth grade teacher, something for which my family has been grateful for ever since. Chris is a great thinker about technology and education. And given that he's in his third week of teaching online, he struck me as a good guest for this discussion about technology and learning at home. Chris, welcome to Bright Now. Uh, first and foremost, I hope you and your family are doing okay with this current with this current crisis. We are, um, and thank you for asking me, Jonathan. Thank you for having me on the episode today. So you're a few weeks into online teaching now, and sort of this big, you know, transition from the classroom to the internet. What's been your biggest positive surprise thus far? I would honestly say the biggest surprise has been the engagement with the community. Honestly, it's been one thing to watch the kids really take off with their learning at home. That's been a natural progression for a lot of them. But the community as a whole rallying around what's trying to be done, you know, really for the first time ever has been amazing to watch. The collaboration amongst the teachers, uh, the sharing of ideas, the, the dissemination of those ideas with the kids and how it's coming back. It's been really exciting to watch, you know, under some unfortunate circumstances. That is pretty exciting. I guess I would have expected it, but not to the extent that we keep hearing about it happening. So that's really interesting. What's the biggest challenge been, though, Chris, with this transition? I would say the biggest challenge has been the workload. It is certainly much more of a teacher workload, not in a bad way, because what it's done is this platform. There are so many ways to reach kids on an individual level, doing it this way, meeting kids in groups at certain levels, different learning styles. There's so many platforms available for the teachers to deliver curriculum to different learning styles, to different individual needs and different parent expectations of what's going to be delivered too. So I would say the biggest challenge is trying to find a way to get all of that information out to each kid individually. And along those lines, you mentioned that there are so many different platforms, like so many different programs, so many different strategies. One of my concerns, and I say this as someone who is moving his college-level teaching online, there are so many different options. I just see colleagues, and I certainly feel it to at least a limited extent myself. There's just so many options. It's almost like, 
what do I use? Is there a right answer here? Is there a wrong answer here? What sort of guidance do you have for all of us who are doing this and just see this almost thicket of options in front of us? Is, is there a right path? Do you just need to plow forward? Like, what, What's your advice there? I would say that moving forward, that's going to be an issue, you know, across buildings and across districts, because certain teachers have certain platforms that they're comfortable in, which is wonderful. I'm familiar in this platform, you're familiar in that platform, but then we send kids home and maybe a parent has three different kids at home and now the parent's trying to manage three different platforms for younger kids. So I think moving forward, you know, there's definitely an elementary platform that some teachers are familiar with, with Seesaw and Explain Everything. And then once you get up into the upper elementary, middle school, high school, the Google suite of products is, you know, a tremendous asset for teachers and the kids to be able to deliver that information back and forth and the learning that they're showing both ways. I'm going to get to parents in uh, one second, but I, while we're still talking about uh, teachers and teaching here, I, this is a, it's not a 30,000 foot question, but it's not a ground level question <laughs> either, uh, but it, um, this is going to be a longer term affair than we all had hoped. And I'm going to be surprised if most school districts around the country aren't out for the rest of this year. And uh, we don't know what's going to happen in uh, the fall either. So I'm just interested from sort of a teacher development perspective, what your thoughts are on as this becomes more and more the new normal, like are there things that teachers need to be thinking about, to be ready about for building their own skill sets maybe, or different comfort levels as this becomes more a short-term thing to a medium-term thing? Like, is there like a more advanced set of skills that teachers need to be thinking about longer term or ways they'll have to change their instruction if we get into month three, four, five, six of this? I do. And that is a fantastic question because historically a teacher or my students, for instance, in my class, my students hear me when I teach at a particular moment in time for whoever is there at that moment. And one immediate shift that we've already seen in the past few weeks is that now almost anybody can participate at any time, anywhere. And the skill set that, you know, going to your question that teachers are going to have to start thinking of is a lot of these lessons that we're giving out now for curriculum, there, there are the ability to record those lessons, to replay those lessons, to disseminate those lessons. I shared a lesson the other day with my class that a teacher had done in California, and it had literally been posted about 25 minutes before I went to teach the lesson. So, you know, the way that we're keeping the information now as teachers, giving it to our kids, it is definitely going to be a new skill set for teachers coming forward. It's been fascinating to watch how lessons are being gathered, shared, collected, and pushed out almost in real time by teachers across the country. You reminded me of a conversation I had with my colleague, Tim Green, who's at 
Cal State Fullerton, who does a lot of online learning and teaching stuff. And when I started to move teaching online a couple of years ago, he's the first person that I went to to ask for advice. And I totally forgotten about this until you just mentioned it. He said, well, like the big difference is that you're not just teaching when you're teaching. Right. You're a full-time 24-7 teacher. Correct. And that is a huge cultural change. Right. A yeah. colleague, friend of mine, Tom Griffin, um, and I just gave a presentation the other day about the day doesn't end anymore. It doesn't end for learning. You know, it doesn't end on a schedule. It doesn't end for the kids because the kids have the ability to access information outside of their days. And moving forward, that's going to be an interesting shift professionally for teachers, I think. Let's talk about parents. This is a big transition for parents as well as their kids, obviously. You can spend five minutes on Twitter and you will see the comments from parents about this has rocked their world. Do you have any advice for parents as they adapt to this new situation with learning at home? Well, they do need to know that they're not in it alone. And I don't think they've ever felt that they're alone. But one thing that, again, we've seen quickly in three weeks is the line of communication between the teachers and the parents has opened up dramatically. And, you know, now there's much more of a need for contact with the parents asking questions about delivery of curriculum, about the curriculum. So from that standpoint, it's been very enlightening about how involved parents are. Now, I'm not saying they weren't involved before, but the lines of communication, emails, parents jumping in on Zoom calls, asking about math problems has been really an interesting thing to see, I think in a good way. And again, I don't think I could be able to teach my kids AP calculus uh, if I had to. But I want to ask you about the future, but before we do that, one thing that my colleagues and I have been talking about with teachers all over the country. I, I was emailing with a teacher from Iowa this morning about this. She works in a low-income district, and they're probably going to be online for the rest of this school year. And she knows that a certain group of her students are going to have no problems with it whatsoever, but she's really worried about lower-income students and digital literacy, access to technology. I mean, do you have any thoughts? Quite frankly, I commiserated with her. I had no solutions for her. Like, we're all trying to figure this out. I'm just wondering if, I'm sure you've thought about this, but are there solutions out there that we need to be thinking about? Is it is it more structural that we need to make sure that there's broadband everywhere in this country? I'm just curious of your thoughts. Yeah, I do think equity moving forward is going to be an issue nationwide, and it has been in the past. I do think that access for all would be important, but I also believe that what people do with that access is going to be, you know, a bigger question moving forward. The ability to access information and versus what you do with the access to that information, I think, is going to be a question for education moving forward. And it's been a question, you know, historically in education, whatever that information has looked like in the past. Yeah, I just think it's one of those issues where... We could probably come up with some better longer-term solutions, right. but for those kids right now, 
I just don't think we have a lot of answers. Uh, that's something that this entire crisis is really kind of holding up a mirror to us about going right. like, look, you know, I know, kids kids in Glastonbury may be fine. Right. East Hartford, the next town over, maybe not. And I know, I know locally, the, the big internet companies here locally have provided hundreds of hotspots with free Wi-Fi access across their towns. Now, again, what that ends up looking like for those who go to those access points, I don't know. Is that the way you fix it by saying, here's free access to everybody? I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's definitely something that we're going to be, I think, debating sharply and loudly over the next year or so, which is probably a good thing. That's a yep. really important discussion. If uh, school and learning becomes a 24-7, 365 affair, then access is everything, right? Sure. That, it's yeah. Anyway, um, so you are someone who thinks really deeply about using technology in schools, classrooms for learning. I'm really curious about your thoughts on what this current experience may mean for the future of education. Will we go back to normal, whatever that means, pretty quickly after this is over? Or does this whole online adventure sort of fundamentally change, or could it fundamentally change, how people are kind of thinking about schools and what the role of schools are and what learning could look like moving forward? I do think there will be conversations moving forward. I think that teachers, their students, and even parents are becoming awfully empowered with what's possible now, and I think it's opened up a lot of parents' eyes about, you know, what their kids are showing them is possible e-learning or technology-wise moving forward. Like I said earlier, I don't think the day will end. Students have access to me after school hours for questions, for emails, and if they're asking those questions, they're genuinely interested in what they're trying to learn or trying to be successful at. So it becomes important for the teacher to keep that engagement with the students. And I think this has engaged, this learning platform has engaged an awful lot of kids in learning because it's a little bit more on their terms. It doesn't have to begin at 7.30 in the morning. It can begin after they've eaten breakfast. It can begin, you know, maybe some students are more comfortable uh, with math in the afternoon or math in the morning or they're comfortable getting math in this particular platform versus that particular platform. So I definitely think moving forward, there's going to be serious conversations about what curriculum is designed for, who it's designed for, and you know how we can deliver that to students and then, then give the learning back to us in meaningful ways. One of my concerns, to be frank, as we moved into this transition, was that it was going to be a lot of one-size-fits-all stuff. Like, okay, everyone go to the Zoom room, and I'm going to lecture to you. And it has been the exact opposite for the most part, right? There are always exceptions. But I've been really impressed by just all the creativity and innovation that teachers have brought to this to make this as sort of personalized as they can, being very selfless with their time. It's a very different model of education. It's one that many of us have called for for a long time, right? So it's kind of cool to see it somewhat falling into place here. Right. With a little bit of planning ahead of time, the teacher, like I had said earlier, I can deliver four differentiated lessons to the same class but in different groups at the same time with the push of three different buttons and then interact with those different groups separately so from that standpoint you know i think that's where the engagement for some kids has gone up 
they're getting an awful lot of instruction that meets their needs on their terms. In some ways, it's ironic, right? Because so many people were worried that moving so quickly online was going to disengage most of our students. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we're, it's still anecdotal, but we keep hearing all these stories about the fact that it's doing the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. You also reminded me, I was talking to a colleague earlier, and he was talking about his, I think she's a second or third grade daughter. And because her teacher is really individual, she can get a day's worth of learning done in two hours, but then totally opens up the rest of the day for them to be doing all sorts of enrichment, exploratory stuff with her. And I I think that's been a surprise to lots of parents too, that when a a kid is super engaged and things are really well differentiated, they can move through the curriculum and learn at a surprisingly fast rate. Right. When we talk learning to moving forward, I think one of the challenges is assessing how much they're learning. You know, there aren't a whole lot of authentic, valid assessments that we can give other than uh, anecdotal type of assessments. But it'll be interesting how that, what education leaders qualify as assessing students in this manner. I think that's a good place for us to end today. I could talk to you about these issues for hours, but you're taking time out of your teaching, which we really appreciate today, Chris, spending time with us. No, I appreciate the time. Thank you. As always, thanks to our listeners. And just a reminder to check out the show notes for a summary of today's episode with Chris Robbins and links to additional resources. See you next episode. That's it for this episode of Bright Now. Tell us what topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes by emailing your suggestions to brightnowpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy Bright Now, support us by sharing the podcast with friends on social media, and be sure to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Bright Now is produced by Jonathan Pucker, Tracy Guerin, and Trisha Schellenbach. Audio production by Iris Starkangelo and the team at Clean Cuts, a three C's company. Our score was written by Austin Coughlin from Noise Distillery. Special thanks to CTY's Interim Executive Director, Amy Shelton. Bright Now is underwritten by the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth, a nonprofit dedicated to identifying and developing the talents of academically advanced students worldwide. Find us on the web at cty.jhu.edu and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.